Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace. Hosted by Annika and Liz. Today, we're answering audience questions. Hooray! It's our 30th episode. It is, which is a, a, a really amazing accomplishment. I feel like we should be very proud of ourselves. When we started, I was like, this could be a lot of work. I will count it a victory if we get to five. And then we got to 10 and now we're at 30. And so I suggested doing a Q&A because I was like, I love it when podcasts do this. And maybe we should wait until we have more episodes and more listeners. But then what if we stop? What if we don't make it to episode 50 or whatever? So questions now. And, and we got some good questions. So it's all good. It all worked out. We have serious ones. We have funny ones. Uh, let's start with a, a serious one from Errol Cavett on Twitter. Would you like to discuss how the various Star Trek series spanned the transition from episodic to arc-based narrative? Increasing access to VCRs assisting with this? Question mark. I mean, I'm going to go with that's not a question. I agree that the increasing access to VCRs and then DVR and then mm. finally streaming... Um, hit, you know, you can sort of watch the, the arc of how television changed when you didn't have to be home at a certain time to watch the show and to, to keep up with it. Like if, if, you know, in the 80s, let's say, mm. you're watching something week to week and you miss an episode for whatever reason. You know, you're, you're not home Thursday at 8 p.m. If it was the... Th you know, the middle part of a three episode arc, that would You're be a problem. Yeah. You would, you would be missing something. Um, so they didn't have those, you know, just because that's the way television worked then. It wasn't a, you choose when to watch it. It was, it's on at this time. And if you miss it, oh, well, wait for the rerun in like six months. I know in Doctor Who fandom, they didn't even have reruns most of the time. And in the 60s, people were putting cassette recorders up against the TV to record the audio. And for some episodes, that's literally the only remnant that remains. That's amazing. I know. How did they know to do that? Like, <laughs> how did someone know that they would want to watch that or hear that story again? <laughs> uh, my first reaction to Errol's question was... Uh, that VCRs didn't have much of an impact and it was more of a DVD thing. But then I thought about it some more and I actually think I'm wrong because I, I'm watching Next Gen with my flatmate, as I keep saying. Uh, we're into season seven and I'm very pleased to say that she turned to me and said, Liz, I know that the movies, the TNG movies aren't good, but can we watch all of them? That's great. She's yes. hooked. I... I don't want to say that she's a Picard crusher shipper, but she really enjoyed Attached and she really disliked Lessons because Picard was cheating on Beverly. <laughs> uh, but in, to answer Errol's actual question, uh, as I've gotten into season seven, I'm starting to see more uh, callbacks to old episodes mm -hmm. and characters who only appeared once coming back, like Cito Jaxa in... Um, Lower Decks, who have first appeared in Season five's The First Duty. And I do think that the availability of VCR me meant that they were becoming slowly more comfortable with the idea I... that the audience could go back and re-watch 
or had access to rewatch on their own time and they didn't have to pander to the, the people who might be dropping in week to week or might not. And I think that's why Deep Space Nine is the most serial because yes. it was still syndicated like Next Generation um, where Voyager and Enterprise were on a network. So it yes. was still sort of like in that, you know, strange area where it, it, it didn't have an exact time it was on. And it was past the time period where they started to believe in serialization. And so it is much more, it's definitely the most serialized barring discovery. Absolutely. I, and I absolutely think that, yeah, it was, it was the advent of now we're able to collect things and watch things in different ways. Yeah, and even if you're not buying the series on VHS, because I remember seeing full season sets of Star Trek The Next Generation. They were massive, they were expensive, uh, but you know, you could go to Blockbuster and rent one. Remember when we could rent videos? Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's it's an interesting thing to have lived through that transition. My bio on Tumblr, I don't like to give my exact age. I'm 37, uh, but I say I'm old enough to remember analog and young enough to know digital. And that's kind of how I feel. Mm -hmm. So that was an interesting question from Errol and actually probably the most serious because (laughs) all of the rest of these are kind of fun. Do you want to do the next one from Herney Mills on Tumblr? Sure. Okay. If you accidentally switched bodies with any character from any Trek series, who do you think you would most convincingly impersonate? Alternatively, is there any character that you would intentionally swap bodies with so that you could be a better version of them than they usually are? Uh, So that second one, my answer is obviously Lorca because that's a very low bar. I love the second one because it's it's sort of asking who would you shame, <laughs> and I just like that is a great question. I don't even really have an answer. I just love the question. I think, sort of in line with you, I would choose Golducat. <laughs> yes, and I would have a lot of fun, but also be a better Golducat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I, I would also say maybe Odo and make him less of a fascist. And he's a shapeshifter, so I'd probably, you know, I could just chill out and be a notebook for a while or something. It'd be great. It'd be fun, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of convincing impersonations, what do you think? Um, I chose Esri. Mm. Um, I have I have said numerous times in in various places that Esri was the first main cast character that I really related to. Mm. that I sort of said, oh, okay, now I'm represented in Star Trek. It was, it was definitely Ezri Dax, that was, the, that was the person. So I think that I sort of fit the Ezri mold, and I would be yeah. able to take her on and convincingly impersonate her. And if I ever messed up, I would just wave it away as, oh, you know, that was just a host echo. That was just Oops. something else, you know? Whoops. Yeah. I, I lapsed into a different person for a moment. Could happen to anyone. Nothing to worry about. Yes. Uh, I would go with Beverly Crusher because she's sort of 
mostly friendly but sometimes a bit sarcastic and sometimes accidentally mean. And aside from the fact that I don't know how to play poker or practice medicine, I think I'd do well. <laughs> you could just, you know, you could you could ask your assistant to like, I'm going to give you the, you know, you be mm. the lead for the day. I feel I'm like... going to supervise. <laughs> That's what um Leonardo DiCaprio does in Catch Me If You Can. Mm. And it works out really well. <laughs> yes, good idea. Uh, so yeah, I think I think I would make a great Beverly. I'm already ginger. The fact that she is tall and skinny would make it kind of awkward. Oh, I also can't dance. So as long as I'm just chillaxing in ten forward with Deanna. Oh no, not Deanna. She'd know I was. As long as I was <laughs> ch- chillaxing in ten forward with Data, I'd be fine. <laughs> with Data, that would be good too. I don't want to take advantage of him, but he does have a cat, and I do want to meet that cat. Aww. A Beverly, like, canonically doesn't like his cat, though. No, she does. Riker doesn't like his cat. Beverly oh, loves his okay. cat. <laughs> in, I switched them up in my head. In Timescape, Riker has been slashed by Spot, and I have a lot of cat-related injuries myself, so I sympathize. And Beverly's like, oh, I love cats. And Riker's like... Well, you feed it then. And the look on Beverly's face, and I think she straight up says, it would be an honour. And Erin and I were sitting on the couch with our cat, who also scratches people, going, we have never related to a character more. See, I like. I don't know why I remembered the scene with Switched, like with Riker liking the cat and Beverly not liking the cat, because it makes way more sense for Beverly to like the cat. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know either. I'm, t- I'm appalled. Well, I don't even know what episode Timescape is, so... It's the one where uh, Deanna and Geordie, Data and Picard are in a runabout coming back from a conference and they're hanging out and chatting and not doing anything very important and basically making fun of everyone at the conference, including the guy who was like, so, Deanna, do you want to help me research interspecies mating protocols? And I'm like, wow, conferences do not change in 400 years. And then some plot happens and there are Romulans. But the important thing is that they're hanging out being friends. So that episode is one that did not make it onto my list of episodes my daughter should watch. And that explains that. Okay. I, it's, it's not a great episode. I just like it. I don't know why. Hey, I love episodes that are terrible, so don't, yeah. don't feel bad. <laughs> it's also the one where Picard develops um, time, the time bends, basically, and goes a little crazy and draws a smiley face in the warp core bridge. Oh, I, I know exactly the gif you're talking about. Yes. Okay. Yes. And now, and now the whole episode is coming back. Okay. I'm glad you. to hear it. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So, now that we've figured out that Beverly likes cats. Yes. Maybe so, we should move on to the next question. Okay. This is another one from Hernie Mills on Tumblr. If you were to defect to one of the Federation's enemies, or pre-Federation if you want to pull from Enterprise, what faction would you join and why? I feel like everybody knows my answer. Is it the Romulans? It is the Romulans! <laughs> Obviously! <laughs> Like, that has been my dream since I was 13. (laughs) I want to join the Romulans. See, my first thought was the Romulans, but we watched Face of the Enemy just a few days before 
this question came in and I said to Aaron, why would you defect to the Romulans or anyone other than the Federation? Because, you know, like the, the Federation seems like they're hypothetically a democracy and you can wear what you want and do what you want and you don't have to join Starfleet or do anything really. And whereas the, the human who defected to Romulus and now came back, he's wearing a bowl cut. I can't pull off a bowl cut and I can't pull off giant shoulder pads. So, yeah. I It is very on brand for it to come down to, I can't look like that. <laughs> I well, like I, also, I also considered Cardassia. But again, there's the minor democracy problem. And again, I don't like their clothes. I mean, fair. Fair mm. on both ends. Both their... Uh, government and their fashions are terrible i 100 percent hmm. agree they are they are both horrible on both ways so i guess like i'm the kind of person like i want to join them and convince them they should be more like federation the federation better <laughs> so so that's not really defecting necessarily no no that's more like an, an infiltration and i really do like how between unification and face of the enemy spock's whole paternalistic the the romulans want to be more like vulcans thing has turned into a, a vulcan a, a romulan underground in favor of a more democratic society i love that you know it took him a while but he finally got there but yeah i don't don't think i'd want to join the Klingons aren't really a part of the Federation, right? No, no. So and, I can be a Klingon. And you don't have to be a Klingon warrior. Like, you could be a wait, wait staff in the Klingon restaurant on Deep Space Nine. I'm sure there are Klingon librarians out there. <gasps> oh my gosh, a Klingon librarian. I would bring so much honour to collection development. I think I would want to be, like, a Klingon journalist. Mm. Like, I think it would be really fun to be an investigative journalist in the Empire. <laughs> like, I just think that hell. would be amazing. Like, I would need bodyguards. Yes. But I think it would be really an amazing job where, you know, every week is completely different and you're always investigating craziness. Is Chancellor Lorels secretly working for the Federation? Exactly. Is the Federation deep state infiltrating the Klingon Empire? It would be so good. Click here to learn the truth about the attack on Kidama. <laughs> and like, it would be... Everything I would be reporting on would be 100% true and still yes. sound completely sensationalist and ridiculous. Yeah. General Martok switched with shapeshifter. That's how, it, like, the Klingons, you know, live. And that's yeah, how Star Trek yeah. goes. So it would be amazing. I am totally in favour of this. I will uh, run the Klingon library from which you research. Nice. And uh, probably carry a knife because that's cool. And I guess if I'm a Klingon, I know how to use it. Yeah, I am ready for my Klingon blade training. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh, this was such a hard question and I had no real answer. And now I'm like, I will be the best Klingon. <laughs> Let's see. That's what happens. It's the magic. 
Mm. So yeah, mm. that was that was a great question. That I also was sort of like, um, I mean, obviously, like I said, I really love the Romulans, but you're completely right that I don't like want to live in their their empire. Their empire is mm. kind of horrible. Mm. <laughs> so, but it was such a it was like really fun, and it's also like you know I'm always down on the Federation, so it was yeah. nice to realize that the Federation is actually not as bad as it could be. You know, I think like all democracies, the Federation is trying. Right, right, exactly. again, we are just assuming that it's a democracy and that there is some kind of voting system happening. And, you know, one of the things I like about Babylon 5 is that in like episode three, Earth has a presidential election. And it's just so nice to see that. Like, how do you vote if you're in Starfleet? Do they set up polling places on a starship or do you do it from your quarters because yeah, they have sort of interesting because they do have a president yeah sort of like how long is his term <laughs> you know what are what are the rules to become federation president what are what you know I've, i'm curious you know as we we're always advocating for a political star trek show yeah but like is it maybe even a Westminster system where the Federation president isn't, ele- directed el- isn't elected directly, but citizens of planets right. elect their representatives and then those right. representatives choose a leader? I mean, if you, if you to take an, uh, uh, another space giant organization, if you look at mm. the Republic, it's a mess. Mm. Like, there are... Mm thousands upon thousands of senators who just seem to be yelling at each other all the time and then one guy takes over everything by basically like having people like manipulating his own assassination attempt to prove that he should you know they need they need someone with an iron fist in charge like, yeah, this that is a was, terrible that was system. bad over there <laughs> so I'm hoping that the Federation is a better is better, but it's sort of like the more people you have in the Federation, the closer you get to that mess. Yeah, and and they always said there were about 140 member planets, but like, does every human colony have an individual representative? Or is exactly. there maybe a lower house that's all of the colonies and then a smaller upper house that's just the species? And right. which house does the does the president come from? So there's a lot of questions. Yeah. And I feel like Star Trek really doesn't want to answer them. <laughs> like, no, and I, I they understand they don't want to lock themselves out of stories. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I, yeah, okay, it's fine. But I wish that, you know, I wish that I knew more about it. I understand why we don't, but it's cool yeah. to me. Honestly, if they told us all about it, it would probably turn out to be a really American system. And then I would have to start shouting about electoral colleges or something, which I don't understand enough to shout about. Hopefully, by the 24th century, we will have gotten rid of the electoral college. Let's look to the brighter future. I'd like to think so, but at the same time, Enterprise strongly implied that Britain still has its own national navy in the 22nd century. So I presume that they're not joining the Earth government and are still fighting about Brexit. Yikes. Okay. Maybe we should move on. (laughs) Yeah, because the only thing I understand less than their electoral colleges is Brexit. (laughs) All right. 
So this next question is from Ellie, who was our guest on um, the Cage episode. Our very first episode. That's right. And I have to say that um, I have had this question in my inbox since <laughs> Ocean's 8 was not quite out yet, which is like a year and a half ago. Yeah, So it's I'm sorry it took so long to get to this. It is an amazing question. And I, and I love it, and I, I'm glad that this gives me the opportunity to open it up to now we get two opinions for this amazing question. It's a really hard one, though. It is Read a really the question. hard one. Read um, the question. Which Star Trek women would you recruit to pull off an elaborate caper a la Ocean's 8, and what role would each one play? <sighs> so I went to... TV tropes and I got a list of the caper crew as seen in Ocean's 8 because there are several different variations and obviously with eight of them it's bigger than the the small five-person group of leverage so Though you have the fair, mask leverage mm -hmm. definitely uh, influenced my answers <laughs> I've only seen say. the first season but I, I think it influenced mine as well so we have the mastermind the second in command the inside man, or woman in this case, the thief, the grifter, the hitter, the hacker, and the mark, which in Ocean's Eleven is Anne Hathaway's character. Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Eight. Ocean's Eight. You only need eight women to, uh, to do the job of eleven men. Yeah, which I think is fair. So, who's your mastermind? Catherine Janeway. Good choice. Good I... Choice. Wanted to say Emperor Giorgio. Oh, well, <laughs> spoiler alert, I said Emperor Giorgio. Oh, good. My feeling was that Giorgio would be too much of a wild card and doesn't play well with others and would probably be pursuing her own agenda. So she's maybe not the person you want in charge of this operation. Well, having What's seen your thinking? all of the Oceans movies... <laughs> that that's pretty much what George Clooney does. <laughs> Danny Ocean is all about doing it, having his own agenda and doing his own thing that he gets everybody else to, you know, join in on. So, uh, The words starring Michelle Yeoh as George Clooney just floated through my head, and I'm okay with that. I think it's perfect. It mm. works out. Sandra Bullock is a little, you know, she's, she's more of a sharer, more of a joiner. More of a joiner, but she still had her own agenda, to the dismay of Kate Blanchett, her second-in-command. So who is your second-in-command? So my second-in-command, in order to, you know, uh, balance out Emperor Giorgio, I, mm. chore, I chose to Paul. Oh, nice! Yeah. Because she is definitely strategic. She definitely is you know, can get the job done, is focused on how this is, you know, how is this going to work? What do mm. we, you know, the plan, what are we going to do to make all of these things that you want to happen, happen, but is also capable of, of being, you know, she's, she's the logician, she's the voice of reason, she can sort of rein in Georgiou's over-the-topness. I think that is an excellent choice, and I had chosen Michael Burnham for much the same reason. Yeah, I, I, I agree that Janeway also needs someone to rein her in a little, and I think Michael is really good. It's a good yes. Choice. I like it. Uh, way, way back after like the very first episode, or 
No, the very third episode of Discovery, I started plotting out a fic where instead of her shuttle being rescued by uh, Discovery, uh, it's everyone has to go to stasis because no rescue is coming and then they're picked up in the Delta Quadrant 200 or 100 years later by Voyager and the criminals are dead because Tuvok doesn't deserve that headache. But Janeway's like, so... We know she's the notorious first mutineer in Starfleet, but Chakotay, have you considered she's more qualified for the position of first officer than you? <laughs> Poor Chakotay. Mm. And then Tuvok would mentor her, her and be the supportive Vulcan dad she needs, and <gasps> Janeway would help her recover her self-esteem, and then season three ends and they pick up Seven of Nine, and Janeway's like, well, Michael... I've taught you about being human and built on what Giorgio taught you. And now you have to look after this Borg. Beautiful. I love this AU. Thank you. I love it too. And I'm, you know, I could write it, but I, I liked the way season one went down. Anyway, my point is <laughs> Janeway and Michael are an unstoppable team. Good choice. Good choice. Okay. Yes. So now is the inside man. Yeah. The sort of person who is in a position to help them from the background and be a support and move things along and also and, uh, provide a little bit of money you know yeah at yeah, least it, yeah. maybe not in the post-scarcity future of federation but in the heist movie yes. of the oceans uh, franchise money is important it sure is but influence is just as important as money and that's why my inside person is katrina cornwell Oh, I see, mm. I see. Uh. So um, I went a completely different way. Oh. And chose Stella Mudd. Oh, you're yeah. very, very good. <laughs> I I was like, you know, let's let's get someone who would have connections mm. to like the underworld, but also the, you know, the uh, the Canto Bright people of <laughs> Of Star Trek, mm. so I wanted I wanted to, to get somebody who would have uh, interesting connections. Mm. But uh, but I like I like you know tell me more about Cornwell's role. Well, I assume that this band of temporarily displaced, uh, formerly law-abiding citizens are trying to get something that they shouldn't have within. Starfleet security like maybe maybe it's a raid on section 31 maybe they're trying to get hidden classified information about oh I don't know some kind of spore drive and that's the sort of thing Kat can assist with you know she turned up on discovery with how to break into section 31 headquarters yeah. on a pad and <laughs> I feel like if the cause was good enough she would be totally down I like I like that they're um, like, of course they're they're temporal displaced because we have people from all over the place in this mm. uh, in this thing, but I like the idea that they're like a temporal team like a like a you know time bandits or something <laughs> that they're that they're going in and and fixing stuff. I, I think it's like Sam's idea from uh, our very third episode uh, that all the dead and discarded women of Star Trek just become time traveling cops. Good, good, good plans. Good plans yeah, all around. Yeah. In this case, time-traveling thieves. All right, so, and good segue into next is the thief. <sighs> this one's hard. 
It is. I have two answers. Yes. You know, potential. Okay. I, I also so, have two potential answers. So um, my the first one is Poe, the Queen of Zahia. Oh, because she can uh, make herself invisible. Yeah, because she can make herself invisible. She certainly has sort of a little rebellious streak. Um, she can get into places. She's super smart, um, mm. but but not necessarily. A, like she's sort of an individual person more than a people person, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, so I sort of like I was the again I was thinking of Parker in Leverage, and I was yes. like, "Who's the Parker in Star Trek?" And I was like, "Well, kind of Poe." <laughs> That's, yeah. that's the closest I got to. Um, most of Star Trek are more stable mm, <laughs> than Parker. Yeah. But Poe has sort of a, a... She's very young and she's very bright. And she... Sometimes that gets ahead of... She gets ahead of herself. Um, yes. Because of those two things. Um, and so I thought that was, that was an interesting choice. Um, and that's a my, good fit for Parker. Yes. My kawaya is that she's kind of in charge of a planet. And the planet is like her sibling. So it would be All weird. of these women have responsibilities. <laughs> yeah. So, but if, you know, if I could see her being pulled in. Mm. If, if they sort of needed somebody to fill that role. I thought she was good. Yes. Who was your second choice? My second choice was Robin Leffler. Oh, um, who I will admit that I just really wanted to be in this group. Like I was like, I got to put Robin Leffler into this somewhere. And the closest I could come to was the thief. Yeah. She's another person who has interesting skills, has an interesting background and is willing to jump in and do weird stuff. Yes. Yes. She would also be a good op- uh, possibility for the hacker. Yeah, but I, I have that covered. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah. I couldn't put her there because I'm very married to my choice of hacker. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> no spoilers. Right. So who's your choices for a thief? Uh, it kind of depends what kind of thief you want. So if you want someone to like move money around electronically and maybe borrow from accounts to which they're not supposed to have access. I would say Ishka. Oh my gosh, that's so good. I love that. I love that. Like she was also a possibility for the inside man, but obviously given a choice between Cat Cornwell and literally anyone else, I'm going to choose Cat. But (laughs) Ishka, I think, would be a real asset in terms of your high financial dealings and any... 24th century Wall Street shenanigans. Uh, My second option, and this is for more uh, close-up pickpocketing style stuff, maybe a bit of a stretch, Lita. Oh, I like that too. I can see it. Like, I'm, you know, I don't think she ever was a thief, but I can imagine her being one, absolutely. Exactly, exactly. I could totally see her in Occupation-era Bajor 
pickpocketing to survive. Exactly. Yes. And uh, assuming like, Cardassians have pockets, but also <laughs> you know she's pretty and she's great with people and. She is, you know, a Darbo girl, so I bet she's great at sleight of hand. So, yeah, I think I like she would it. be an amazing pickpocket. I like it. Mm. And certainly if they're going to a casino planet or whatever. Yeah. She'd yeah. be a really good asset. Yeah. Yeah. Also, really if sure. it's Quark that they're robbing, she can just walk in and, you know, <laughs> get Rom to do it because they're family. <laughs> nice. Mm. All right. Next is the grifter. Uh, I have a canonical female con artist from Star Trek, and it's Vash. I was like, and it's, is it Vash? Like, yeah. As soon as you said canonical, I was like, oh, I know, I know who it is. <laughs> yep, yep, good choice, good choice, very, very, I, I can see her. I was like, she's, she, uh, she's kind of a loner. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was worried that she wouldn't, she wouldn't uh, fit into a group setting. But. Well, you know, quite often the grifter is a bit of an outsider mm. and not entirely trusted by the others. Uh, I, I just think that Vash interacting with literally any of these other women would also be hilarious. Good argument. Mm. I, I, I would love, I mean, I love Vash. Yeah. I think she's great. I wish that she was in more Star Trek because it was fun she was so fun she was very not star trek and so i just really enjoyed seeing that sort of like pushing against like um cupid as ridiculous as that episode is the idea of like a vash coming into that very cohesive tng group and sort of like spoiling it you know yeah i'm i'm sitting in the captain's chair ha 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 you know like i just love that so I yes absolutely more interaction with Vash is is mm. and a plus Vash interacting with women without some weird Picard related jealousy happening because most of her interactions are with men who want to sleep with her and you know maybe maybe she just wants to have buds that she's still stuffed with so my first um, thought for Grifter was Deanna Troy because she could sort of have like an inside. You know, she could read people and then yeah. and then do what she needs to um, to trick them. But I followed that to the the um, obvious conclusion that who would Loxana. be even better <laughs> exactly is Loxana <laughs> Troy. So my grifter is Loxana Troy because she would be amazing at it. But both these options are so good. Like, have I ever told you my crack theory that Deanna is not an empath at all? She's just a really, really good con artist who, who happens to have a sense of ethics. No, but I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Because it would be so easy. Anyway, Loxana, amazing. I love it. Like, I was just like, oh my gosh. And mm. you know, yes, um, people would have to rein her in a little bit. But you know what? Like, Emperor Giorgio and Topal would be totally capable. it would work out well i would pay so much money to see emperor Giorgio and loxana in the same space i know it's so good because they are totally opposite in so many ways starting with aesthetics but they also love to be the center of attention and the most important person in the room it would be so good it would be like titans you know like fighting it out they would end up best friends i just know it Oh yeah! Oh Once yeah! Once all that was over, they would be so tight. 
They would out. be hanging out in Ten Forward, drinking something that's not synthahol, and then Will Riker walks in and they both start laughing at the same time. It'd be so good. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> uh, a runner-up for Grifter, though, would be Jadzia Dax, simply because she has a lot of experience with being other people and she likes people, she's good with them, and she's also a bit of a troll. And she's also good at distracting people. Yes. She's definitely the kind of person who is capable of, like, getting people to look at her. Yes. And not only, be, like, not just because she's amazingly attractive, but she is, is really smart about getting attention. Yes. Uh, not, she's not as flamboyant as Loxana. She's much more subtle. Right. But, you know, I, I, I think that would be an unstoppable team. That would be so good. So yeah. good. Yeah. Deanna's just going to change her name and fake her death <laughs> out of sheer embarrassment. Aw, it'll be okay. Wait, okay, what's next? Uh, the hitter. The hitter. The Elliot Spencer of our group. Yes. I want <laughs> to say it's a toss-up between Tasha Yar and Ellen Landry, but... Tasha would be great because you'd never see her coming. She's so slight and pretty. Uh, I don't really want Ellen in my group. I don't think she'd get along with Janeway. I don't really <laughs> think she has the uh, light-hearted attitude of the team that I'm building. Mm, I can see that. Yeah, she mm. would be a she would be a problem problem child. Yeah, yeah, which could be interesting. But I think on the whole, I'm inclined to Tasha. And also, like, no offense to Ellen Landry, but I don't. You want, like, your hitter has to be someone who is going to protect everyone. And I feel like I'm not sure Landry would. Especially because I have Michael Burnham on my team, and I don't think Ellen wants to protect Michael. Yeah. So, sorry. Yeah. My, my hitter is Kira Norris. Yes. Because... Very much a runner-up on my list. Um, because, like, you know, first of all, she loves to punch people. She sure does. <laughs> people who are, you know, who people who offend her, she's willing to go right at. Yes. And that is that is what you need in a hitter. And she is also super protective. Like she is a mama bear. She oh is yeah. Loyal to the people that she cares about, um, to definitely violence. Like <laughs> loyal to violence is Kieran Reese. And so yes. that's who I chose. Yes, I considered Ensign Rowe for much the same reasons, but I didn't actually want to get into some sort of stereotypical Bajoran women are violent routine. And likewise with Balana Torres. Like, Balana could be a hitter, but she doesn't want to be a hitter. Right. She wants to be a hacker. <laughs> so, hacker is next. Guess yeah. who I have for hacker? Is it Balana? It's Balana Torres. <laughs> like I said, this was like the probably the. This was the first thing I filled <laughs> because right. I was like you know who I need on my team is Belana Torres and as you say exactly she could be a hitter but she doesn't want to be a hitter she mm. is a hacker she is a techie yeah. she is yeah. the gadget girl <laughs> like uh yes so so absolutely Belana Torres and the reason that she's perfect is because she is smart like I have said before that I consider her to be the smartest person in Star Trek and, oh, yeah. and completely capable of 
punching you out and taking you down in a fist fight. So yes, so that's She's what you, that's what you need. <laughs> that's what you need. See. What's great about Star Trek is that there are so many women who could do this job. I also contemplated Sylvia Tilly, who straight up offers to hack into the Daystrom, Daystrom Institute in season one, uh, and Seven of Nine, who could do it in her sleep, mm-hmm. or even Jadzia again. But no, I really think Bellana is the way to go. Yeah. I also, um, I considered uh, Nayoto Hura. Because of course. she is super smart at computers and then also Mm. can hack into people yes that whole social engineering thing yeah she's probably great at it as a comms officer she's really really good at at peopling and she you know is multilingual and like you know there's a lot there's a lot of like i can really see her as the hacker type as well and so i was Mm. you know it was sort of like if we had the hacker and the gadget girl, you know, separate, then then it could, I could get both of them and it would be great. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there, Star Trek, thank you for giving us so many women in STEM. I know. I love it. So mm. good. Mm. And then finally we have our eighth option, the Mark, the, the person they're stealing from, ostensibly, who ends up joining the team. That's yeah. a spoiler for Ocean's 8. So this is where I put Katrina Cornwell. <laughs> Nice. Because I thought of her as someone who was deep inside Starfleet. Mm-hmm. So that would be like they're, you know, these people are all sort of like connected, if not actually in Starfleet. Yeah. And so I can imagine them doing something that it was like, we need to save the the fed, the future of the Federation by screwing with Starfleet. <laughs> um, and and Cornwell would be their way in. But once she knew that what they were doing and why, she would join up. I can see that, and I think it's a really logical uh, uh, concept. I was kind of going for a more, who would they really hate having to team up with, but who was also powerful enough to be the mark? And I went with Kai Wynn. (laughs) That's an interesting way to go. I just think she's so passive-aggressive that, you know, all of my women are pretty direct, aggressive people. And then there's Kai Wynn, and she is going to join their group whether they like it or not. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. So, I mean, it's definitely, like, way to introduce drama into the drama. Yes, yes. I like it, I like it. She would probably say, bless you, my child, at least once to Janeway. Probably wouldn't get a second chance. I mean, look, I'm never going to put Kaiwin on any team that I create. <laughs> but I appreciate your dedication. Sometimes I like shenanigans more than I like a cohesive team. Okay, good. I, I see that. I see that. Good, good, good option. I would say that in any case, this is an amazing story. This is an amazing team. We're ready to go. Oh, yeah. What a good, good answer to a good question. Uh, you have no. Do I it's your have turn. the next? It's your okay, turn. <laughs> this one's anonymous. Gender swap. What would it be like if some of our fave characters were different sexes? What are your thoughts on this? I myself wonder about a male seven of nine. How would the dynamic change? A female Kim and perhaps a female Doctor. So first of all, I have to say that I cannot even begin to imagine a 
boy seven of nine. No. <laughs> like, I'm just... No, not even for I don't even... And I don't want to. <laughs> like, you know. Seven, mm. seven is... Seven... Seven is seven. She is as she is. And I don't want to change her. <laughs> so Same. it's really... It's just really hard for me to even think of. I guess it would be Hugh. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's what I can come up with. It was an interesting question to me because I have in the past really liked gender swap stories and, and you know, male characters becoming being reconsidered as female, but I've never really been into that with Star Trek. And I think it's because it has enough female characters that I rarely ever feel their lack. And the exception, of course, is the original series. And it would be kind of cool if, like, Scotty was a cranky female Scottish workaholic. Like, I realise that's almost Jet Reno with an accent, but I'm really into that concept. I can see that, I can see that. And yeah, I, I agree that it's... Okay, so when Sam, who again mm. was, on our, was on our show, um, and I did sort of a alternate, uh, the Kelvinverse version of Next Generation, we gender mm. swapped a lot of people. Just yeah. to sort of make it a little bit more balanced. Yes. Tilda Swinton is Captain Picard, yeah. Oh, I like that. But I agree that I like gender swapping in reboots. Yeah. I don't like gender swapping what we, like, I don't like thinking about the gender swap of what exists. Mm. Like. I, I I want it to be like it has to be a a re a new version of next generation. It can't be like mm. the next generation that exists. Like I just it's weird. It's just I can't think of that in my head. It just doesn't work for me the way it is. No, no, I get that because as much as I like gender swaps in other fandoms, I just can't do it with Star Trek. Like I was just trying to picture a female data and I can sort of do it, but like Data, if Data was a woman, her experience of humanity would be so different because right. of how other people would treat her. So even if they started off with the same positronic network and, and brain and all that. Especially like for both Harry Kim as a, as a woman and then the Doctor as a woman, mm. but especially the Doctor. It's sort of like... I can more imagine the doctor as a woman than I can the other than Seven as a man or or Kim as a woman. Mm. Like I can more imagine it because that character is sort of I don't know, it's it's like because he's already a facsimile of a human, it's sort of like yeah. maybe he wanted to maybe he wanted to gender swap. Like I don't know. What's you know, it's interesting. Mm. I can, it's a more easy to understand variable. Looking at it from a modern perspective, there's no reason why an artificial life form has to have a, a, a binary gender identity right. or a gender at all. Yeah. But the hollow, if the holodeck was a woman, he would be so super se sexualized. Like it would just happen because he was a hologram. Like would, the episode where he possesses seven of nine. Yeah. He would be, it's like they, they just would, I don't think they would even mean to do it but they would they would it would be like this implicit 
Mm. <laughs> because it's a woman, we have to sexualize the idea of the holographic woman, and she would not be a balding 40-year-old man. <laughs> like, it would be so different, and I just, I, it, like, I don't know what to say about it. I have to say like, that if I could separate this idea from the reality of television production, I would kind of love to have a character as self-absorbed and bad-tempered as the Doctor, but a woman. That would be amazing. Yeah, sort of in your, you know, your in your Scotty idea, I was like, well, yeah. what about McCoy? Like, McCoy would be a good woman. <laughs> that sounds yeah. weird. But, no, no. And it wouldn't, it would, I mean, I guess it would be kind of like Pulaski, but everybody says that Pulaski is a lot like McCoy, and I guess I can see how that's true. And everyone hates Pulaski, so I guess that would be bad. But, see, my beef with Pulaski is that she denies Data his identity and misgenders him by using the wrong pronouns, and she's basically a jerk. But in the episodes where she's not a jerk, I enjoy her, and I think if I went back and watched season two as an adult, I would really like her, because I like cranky, older, female supporting characters. I just don't want her to be an asshole to Data. Mm -hmm. So I, I agree that, like, I think the idea of the Doctor, of, like, Robert Picardo's The Doctor mm. as a woman is really interesting, but it's really difficult for me to divorce it from the reality of television, especially television that started in like 1994. <laughs> like I just, yes. I cannot imagine them not making her, a, you know, bo a, a 10.0 body and 11.0 mm. intelligence. Like it would just be so gross. I mean, it's sort of like, look at seven. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, whereas if they had cast someone like Mindy Sterling in the role, who is not pretty or feminine, but, you know, she would have been great. Right. It's an, inter yeah. it's an interesting yeah. thought experiment. It's hard for me to imagine Voyager differently from how it is. Yeah, and, and like we discussed this in, in our Leslie Crusher episode, and, and that was where you said you don't like gender swap stories. Right. And, and, yeah, yeah, I feel like that's particular ground we've covered, like... I think that a female Kim would have been a more of a love, like had more love interests and been more romantically active because Asian women are sexualized in a way that Asian men are not. I also think it would have made Harry not getting promoted like wouldn't only be racist, which it totally is. It would also be sexist. Yeah, <laughs> so it would be yeah. like even worse, and it's already pretty bad. So, <laughs> yeah. Voyager, I love you. Why aren't you better? And you know, one of the interesting things is when they were casting for Voyager, they were concerned that they wouldn't be able to find a, a woman to play the captain. So they were cautiously looking for men to play the captain and women to play the Native American first officer. And that would have been, you know, I think a woman in Chakotay's role would have been quite interesting. And I... I posted on Tumblr just this week, Voyager AU, where everything's the same, but Kara G plays Chakotay. And I, I, I'd be down for that. Oh my god. Like, yeah. Kara uh, G, for those of you, might be pronounced Gee? I don't think so. Oh uh, for those of you who don't watch The Expanse, is an Aboriginal Canadian actress. I cannot remember the name of her nation, 
But uh, she's obviously too young to have been in Voyager, but she's very, very good. She's amazing on The Expanse. She's yes. a drummer on The Expanse, and she is just... Every scene that she's in, she steals. She's just Basically, so yes. good. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I think we, we, we wouldn't do it for various reasons, but it's an interesting thought experiment. So thank you, anonymous person. <laughs> And thank you for giving me another reason to think about Karaji. <laughs> I mean, any reason to think about Karaji is, is <laughs> a good reason. So, yes. Yes. All right. Our next question comes from Nenya. What are your hopes for Discovery Season 3? Uh, I wanted to open with Tilly waking up on Discovery and going, wow, what a weird dream. I shouldn't have had that burrito at 10 o'clock last night. And then she goes out and it's still the 23rd century and Kat is alive and season two was a dream. I feel like that's not going to happen. She didn't say they had to be realistic, Hopes. Okay, okay, fair, fair. Yeah, I mean, I... I just went to the panel at Mm. New York Comic Con and... I enjoyed it. Sinequa Martin-Green, whenever she talks about anything, but especially about Star Mm. Trek, I just, she is so thoughtful. And the Star Trek series that she stars in, that she describes when she speaks, is amazing. It's exactly (laughs) the Star Trek series that I want to watch. Unfortunately, it doesn't carry over 100% 100% to what's actually on screen when I'm watching Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. So my main hope for, for season three is that it catches up to the show that Sonequa Martin-Green is selling. Like, I am, I'm ready to watch that show. But I guess, to be fair, I mainly am looking forward to new stories that don't have to fit into any particular timeline or reality or box that has come before Mm. as much as I actually enjoy the fact that Discovery is a prequel and I love Sarek being in it for example I think I'm not I don't know that the writers do (laughs) I don't know who made the decision for us to put to place it there but I really feel like at least the people who are in charge of it now didn't really want to be making that show (laughs) and so no and I think this is part of the problem with Brian Fuller leaving and the show that he pitched was an anthology that would only spend one season with these characters yeah so I feel like I am ready for Discovery to take on its own mantle and Mm. be its own thing and tell its own stories and I'm like I'm excited for them to go to the Trill homeworld and mm. and expand. I mean, I I have been waiting for more Trill mythology for years, like a yeah. decade. Okay, I am totally ready for more Trill mythology. That's awesome. But I want you know I want them to I wanted them to tell their own stories. I think my real hope for season three is that. For, it gives me a reason to move on from my anger about the end of season two. And I think 
just seeing the trailer helped because, you know, the 33rd century is such a nebulous concept and now we have an idea of what it looks like and the people we're going to see and that makes me feel better about it. And I'm never going to like the end of season two and I don't think I'm ever going to really trust these writers again, but I want to love the series again and I want to stop being angry. Yeah, that's fair. I am looking forward to not seeing the original series uniforms. Oh God, I hate them so much. I just, I really just, I really just want Discovery to be its own thing and to stand at mm. its own feet and, yeah. and to not have to worry about anyone asking stupid questions about, well, what about this thing that happened in the original series 50 years ago? Why aren't you, you know, yeah, why, does it, yeah. why does it look different now? And it's like, I don't know, because it's 50 years later, <laughs> but I, I just... I don't care about canon continuity at all. And so it's really been difficult for me to be on the (laughs) sidelines of these arguments about canon continuity. And so I'm really excited for them to be in a place where that doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm excited for them to build something new. And I'm excited to see Cardassians with modern makeup styles. And yeah, I, I want to leave season two behind, basically. Yeah, that's fair. And and I have heard that, like, Tilly has some cool emotional stuff about how she's homesick, even though she had a difficult home. And I'm, I'm into that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, like, that's... Give me more. That's the stuff I care about. Like, like I said, I want a reason to stop being angry. I want a new character to fall in love with and obsess over. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh... Possibly related, Aristophanes asked, I'm sure you have plenty of questions like this. We didn't. But you are granted magical powers to amend one, one, bit of Trek canon. It could be something profound, e.g. that one thing that would have prevented X from dying. Fran, we know you're talking about cat. (laughs) Or just something that makes you laugh, e.g. the Gorn, but a goose. What do you do? Oh my goodness. Okay, so... I first have to say that, okay, so I love alternate universes and alternate Mm -hmm. timelines, and I 100% believe in them. Like, you know, that episode with Worf parallels. Yeah. It's true. It's canon. There are lots of lots and lots of different universes, and the one that we're following just happens to be the one that we're following. It doesn't, it's not more true. It's not more real. It's not prime. It's just the one we're following. Yeah, there are like four or five mirror universes and they all hate each other. Right. So this is a great question for me in the sense that I love these ideas of one thing, one small thing changes and then everything is changed. And that's great. Mm. You know, I love the Kelvin verse because of that. I, I, it's so interesting and exciting to me to see how things are the same and how things are different like how the characters are the same and how the characters are different, how the relationships are the same and how the relationships are different. I love 2009 because uh, Kirk has that one scene with Prime Spock and he mm. mind melds and he basically like the Kirk who hasn't had that relationship with Spock is shown that relationship that Spock yes. had with him. 
and he has to carry that through the the other like three movies it's amazing it's so like I love that version of Jim Kirk because of this amazing gift that he is given and it's just so good um so like that kind of stuff is what I'm 100% here for and so I wouldn't change canon Mm. again I don't care about canon continuity um so I wouldn't change canon but if I did get to like change something in our version of Star Trek that we are following and also I guess it's not our version <laughs> it's it's the Kelvinverse <laughs> I'm gonna change the Kelvinverse guys so in the second Kelvinverse movie Into Darkness yes which I like I like all of the Kelvinverse interesting movies. I like Into Darkness I like the parallels to Wrath of Khan quite a bit, actually. The way that I like how Force Awakens mimics A New Hope. I think that's mm. cool. <laughs> I'm into echoes and parallels and retellings and the how how things remain the same within the differences. I, I, I yeah. just, that's what I'm interested in parallel universes. But I don't like that Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> is playing Khan. Yes. So what I would change, um, this was suggested to me and I don't remember by whom, so I can't give them credit, but it was a great idea and it's what I had canon and how I can go forth enjoying Into Darkness without any kawaiats. Yeah. Is that Benedict Cumberbatch does not play Khan. He plays Joachim from Wrath of Khan. Khan's second in command pretending to be Khan <laughs> and like this one change makes that movie work for me absolutely because first of all it gives sort of like justice for Joaquim who like didn't even get a credit in the movie because his agent screwed up his contract so like that I forget his name uh, Judson Scott something Scott is like he plays it so seriously and so earnestly the whole movie like Joaquin is like the heart of that movie on Khan's side and it's not fair that he doesn't get credit for it and if Benedict Cumberbatch was playing that character and like Khan died for whatever reason and he was like the only way to make this work is if I pretend to be Khan and I let I can do it and he like sells it to Starfleet and so he's like playing you know he's three he's three levels of of spy like it just makes yeah no so this much is amazing in every way and then it doesn't have the issue of the him not being Hispanic or Indian like yeah the, the racial issues which are real like Yes. They, they get in the way of my enjoyment of the film. So much. Are taken away by this one tiny change. And so that's what I would change if I was given the opportunity. I think that's really clever. I really like that idea. And it reminds me of the speculation before the movie came out that this whole Khan thing was a big fake out and actually Cumberbatch would be playing Gary Mitchell. Still sad that didn't happen. Uh... My single change, it wouldn't necessarily prevent X, meaning cat, from dying, but I would take out the time travel element and the red angel and the bursts from season two of Discovery. Like, and just have it strictly a space politics and control and 
radicalized algorithms story which I you know is not something I'm saying for the first time here but that was the first thing I thought of when Aristophanes asked because season two is overly complicated overly complicated and too separate from the themes and events of season one and again I still don't understand what what's the message I yeah what are they trying to say no the message I am, I still don't understand what it means. Like, at least... I had issues with the, the end of season one as well. Like, I'm on record for not liking the finale of season <laughs> one. But at least I understand what they were saying. They were saying we can look at our dark side and we can choose to... And we can choose the light. Like, it was a kind of simplistic. But, but I get it. Like, that was the story of season one. Season two, I I don't know. I do not know what the message was. No, no. And it's not just the change in showrunners. Like, from the beginning, it was a messy and incoherent season. I think simplifying it would absolutely help. Mm. But I also liked the Gorn but a goose as a concept. And uh, I'm just going back into that question because that question was asked in the Admiral's Legion Discord. Ah, yes. Nenya suggested the Gorn, but a goose who can time travel and beam people out of the way of exploding photon torpedoes. It's a very specific goose with a very specific skill set. I like Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well done, that goose. Well done, that goose. Saving, there's there's plenty of people I would save. If we're going to go on, let's save lives. And it's sort of like, you know... Jadzia Dax I would save and I would be sad because again I said literally like half an hour ago that Ezri is the the first Star Trek character that I firmly believed represented me on screen as a Star Trek character so obviously Ezri Dax is hugely important to me but I'm still upset that Jadzia Dax had to die for her to exist yes yes and I'm I hate the way that Terry Farrell had to leave and that she was treated so badly and wound up with no other choice. I like, it's just right. terrible. And that's like, same with Gase McFadden. Same with Denise Crosby. Like, right, there's a right. pattern here, guys. I would not have fired Jennifer Leanne. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I also considered, I have in my head a, uh, you know, alternate Voyager where mm. instead of Cass leaving, you know, I've, I've you know, I, I've imagined every other character leaving instead of Cass, and it's sort of like <laughs> there's certainly ones that I would like. I wouldn't miss Neelix. <laughs> like, sorry, but I wouldn't. No, I probably wouldn't miss Chakotay. Like, sorry, but I I wouldn't miss Chakotay after season three. Like, he doesn't really do much then. But the person who I think would be the most interesting. That I would miss, but would still be the most interesting, is Tom Paris. I love him. Oh, yeah. I love him. Like, he is one of my favorite characters on Voyager, but I think that it would have a lot of interesting repercussions if Tom Paris was the one who was replaced with Seven of Nine instead of Kess. Like, Mm. Balana could date someone else. Seven of Nine? Yeah, Seven of Nine. That That would be my option, yes. And it would just be... It would be interesting. It's like, who would pilot the ship? You know, mm. like maybe it'd be Cass. That would be cool. 
So there's like it's just like that's the one that would would have these you know those ripples the the rippling yeah. repercussions that would be interesting. It's sort of like if Neelix is, is replaced, who even notices? If Chakotay is replaced, there's an interesting problem with the hierarchy because then you have two super Starfleet people mm. at the top, and that would be an interesting change. But it wouldn't like. Nothing like Tuvok isn't gonna do anything <laughs> that's gonna change. No, no, it would just cause an interesting you know? tension with the Marquis, right? And Balana would have to step up as the Marquis spokesperson, which would be would be great. I would love to see Balana as the Marquis sp- uh, mm. spokesperson. Like, th- there's interesting things that would happen in any way, but mm. so you know, let's let's replace everybody instead of Cass. It's <laughs> a fun, like another fun thought experiment. But at the, at the end of the day, like it would change Voyager, and so I wouldn't yeah. do it. Like I'm more, I'm more willing to change the one movie than I am to change yeah. the, the last four seasons of Voyager. My whole thing is that I think Voyager had too large a regular cast, so I wouldn't have fired anyone, but I would have moved Kess Neelix and maybe Harry Kim back to recurring roles, and they would still get like. You know, they would be the O'Briens of Voyager and get that level of probably as much attention as they got anyway. They could be the Garricks. Yes! Garrick is only in, I don't know exactly how many, I'm going to say 20 episodes. But he's such an important but and dynamic he's character. He's like 90% of the fandom's favorite character, you know? Yeah. Like it didn't matter that he wasn't a regular because the stories that they told about him were good. Were important. Yeah. And I think they could have done that with those three characters who were chronically underserved by the by the scripts anyway. And then there wouldn't have been this problem where you have too much cast and, you know, Neelix is only there to ask a stupid question or Kess is only there to have something explained to her because they need a reason to pay the actors. Yeah, on the West Wing Weekly, they, they call it a, a, a teledonna because... Uh, Donna is always like has to ask the questions that they're worried that the audience isn't going to know and in the West Wing it's sort of ridiculous because it's like if you're watching the West Wing you care and (laughs) and yeah exactly if you're working in the White House you would know this stuff like she's not an idiot like it makes a little bit more sense when it's Neelix or Cass but it's still sort of ridiculous (laughs) yeah so yeah so that's the one change I would have made to Voyager I I one of the changes I would have made to Voyager. <laughs> okay, we have one last question, and it's the most important. Go. <laughs> All right. This is from Non Elvis Pub on Twitter. If you're still looking for quote unquote ridiculous questions for your next episode, which Star Trek character, if any, is most likely to feat? Defeat in single combat the goose armed with a bat whip. And the goose in question, by the way, is the protagonist and anti hero of Untitled Goose Game, which, as a person who dislikes and fears birds, all birds, but especially geese, I love this goose. It is a bad person, but a good goose. Uh, and there is art, which we will definitely yes. include yes. in the show notes. 
So this is a particularly good question because lately I've been sort of categorizing my favorite characters by would they fight a goose? So <laughs> Katrina Cornwell would try to reason with the goose and then when that failed, she would delegate someone else to fight the goose. Michael Burnham wouldn't want to fight a goose, but she would feel like it was her moral responsibility, so she would fight a goose. Catherine Janeway, early seasons, would reluctantly fight a goose. Later seasons, she just pulls out her phaser rifle and tells Neelix to start looking up recipes for roast goose. Kira Norris would fight a goose. Kira Norris would fight anyone. This is true. Is it a Cardassian goose? Let's assume yes, because geese are quite evil. So, my first thought when I saw Non Elvis's question was, well, yeah, all of them would fight, a, nearly all of them would fight a goose. I don't think Esri would fight a goose. Esri would not fight a goose. Deanna Troy would not fight a goose. Kess would not fight a goose. She would not. No. Uh, but then the question is, who is most likely to defeat the goose in single combat after with a gap batleth? Well... Well, I feel like Worf would absolutely engage this dishonorable goose in single combat, but I don't know if he'd win. He would lose. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just telling the truth. Worf would no, lose no, to the I goose. No, no, I don't doubt it for a minute. Worf is not actually good at that. <laughs> <laughs> he tries. He tries really hard, and he cares a lot. He, he cares too much. He puts his whole heart into it, and yes. the goose would, would absolutely get him. Yes. Uh, Mira Lorca would 100% fight the goose. He would lose. He'd have to be rescued by Michael. Oh. And he'd probably enjoy that. Yeah, I mean, that's why he's fighting the goose to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> this is an elaborate damsel thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Keep your kinks at home, Gabriel. This is who he chooses to trust and, and bring into his circle is who comes to save him from the goose. <laughs> it's a test. Yes. Uh, Saru would not fight a goose even after he's lost his threat ganglia because he has some common sense, goddammit. Christopher Pike might fight a goose if he had to, but he'd prefer not and he definitely wouldn't win. He wouldn't win and I, he would hate it. And he would, yeah, he, more to the point, he would hate himself. Yeah, and we don't want that for Chris Park. self Even though Chris we're still mad at him for the whole erasing discovery thing. Oh my god. Number one. Number one would, like, try to talk the goose into not fighting. She would. And, and, uh, and the goose wouldn't go for it, and then she would shoot the goose. That's pretty much it. Which might mean she won, but she hasn't defeated it in single combat with no, a battle. No, <laughs> uh, Picard would get pretty far, but I think he would last even less, than, not even as long as Worf. See, he would be another one who would really try to reason with the goose first. Yeah, and yeah. He, would, he would probably make and a he speech. He wouldn't even pull his phaser out right away the way that number one would. Like, once no. it became clear that, he, that the goose wasn't listening, she would be like, fine. But mm. Picard wouldn't. Picard just is not the type of person to bring combat to the goose. No. No. Riker, I think, would enjoy trying to fight the goose, but he would also lose. And he's okay with that. The important thing is that he tried. Yeah, and he would have fun. And he would look yes. good doing it. 
Yeah, yeah. It's not re- not so much about beating the goose. It's about flexing for his team. Beverly would honestly start like checking. Like she would take out her tricorder and be like, "Why are people fighting this goose?" Yeah, like, yeah. What the hell's up? With what this is goose? going on? <laughs> that this is mm. happening. This yes. is a conspiracy. <laughs> I don't think any of the doctors would fight the goose, although Phlox might try to add it to his menagerie. Yeah, and, and Bashir would try to, like, he would study it. He would study it, yeah. and he would try yeah. to understand why the goose does what the goose does. Yeah. Uh, Ash Tyler, handy with a batleth, still don't think he's going to defeat the goose. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so either. You know why? Because he's too trusting. Yeah, he's an idiot. He's honestly very, he like he get, he he gives everyone the benefit of the doubt, which is a terrible, terrible trait in someone who is meant to be running a spy agency. <laughs> yeah. <But> whatever, whatever. <laughs> this is what's wrong with Section Thirty One. <laughs> oh, they are too trusting. Uh, Data and Spock, I think, would go about it in similar ways. Uh, which is to say they've got to try and neck pinch the goose, which would probably be successful in Data's case, but it's still not defeating it in combat with a batleth. Trip would really enjoy fighting the goose. Oh, he would love it. He would love it. He would lose. So much. Oh, yeah, he would definitely lose, but he would really enjoy. He would be like, this is is why I went out into space. Mm. Honestly, Florida man fights goose, I'm sure, is a real headline out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's really only one character I think could defeat the goose in single combat armed with a batleth, and non Elvis herself suggested it. It's Emperor Giorgio. Okay, uh, go, you, 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 t- you tell that story and then I'll give you my answer. Well,. She is an absolutely ruthless fighter. She is familiar with blade weapons and she learns fast. So she'd be handy with a batleth. And she's absolutely, she has no qualms about cutting off a goose's head and sending it to the Imperial kitchen to be cooked. Okay. That's true. That's true. Everything you just said is true. I I concede Mm -hmm. the point. I think that she would be good against the goose. But my but I sense choice, you disagree. My choice for the number one person who would absolutely be willing to fight the goose and capable of defeating the goose in single combat is James T. Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> and the only question is, how badly does his shirt get ripped? Oh, absolutely. And how many feathers is he wearing he when is, he gets back he to is, the Enterprise? He's definitely rough and tumble by the end of it, but he defeated that goose. I want to argue, but I really, really can't. <laughs> like, look, there, if there's one truth in Star Trek, <laughs> James C. Kirk wins a fight. <laughs> That's his thing. I can't disagree even for a moment. So out of 50 years and many forms and variations of canon in Star Trek, we have two characters who can fight and defeat a goose. With a batleth. <laughs> Honk. <laughs> oh my god. Thank you for all these amazing questions, everyone. They 
were exactly what we were looking for, and I really appreciate everyone stepping up. Indeed. Uh, I guess start thinking of questions for episode 60? Woo! We can, we can get to 60 episodes. We absolutely can. I, I mean, believe it. There's us. a whole season in Picard. Oh my god. I am going to clear all my weekends from January through to March or whenever. Okay. Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at @antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures and questions for our audience or invite our audience to ask us questions. If you like us, leave a review on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. Or grab a friend and tell them we're great. Apparently that's a thing. Join us in two weeks when we'll be discussing the news out of New York Comic Con and the first two short treks of season two. And yes, that might be a bit late, but this is not a time-sensitive medium. Honk. Honk. Ha, 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 ha.